Good morning. We are going to uh, continue with the series that I've been on the last couple of weeks called Questions and Answers About God and Money. And just to kind of recap, the first week we talked about having a, a biblical mindset about money, right? And, and talked about all of the scriptures that uh, speak about money and what to do with it and how to use it and not use it and so forth. And then last week, we, we really started to, to delve into this idea of stewardship, right? That we are called to be stewards over the money that we are given. And uh, really used the sort of the analogy, my friend Harvey will appreciate this, uh, of a money manager. Um, so what Harvey did, Anton was a money manager as well. And... Um, just as I was explaining, uh, Jarrett and I were driving somewhere, and he was asking me about the series, and I said, well, you know, this concept of, of being a steward means that um, as a money manager, if someone were to come to Harvey or Anton with their money, um, it is not in their purview to kind of take that money and do whatever they want with it, right? right? They are to be, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, there to understand, you know, what the objectives are of the person that's bringing the money. It's like, do they want to grow this? Are they close to retirement? Does it need to be uh, in a little less risky investment and so forth? So they have to understand what the objectives are of the owner of the money, right? And then they steward it according to those objectives. And that's sort of the exact same way it works with God and uh, in us, you know, God is the owner of everything. That We kind of proved that, I think, pretty conclusively last week, uh, biblically. And so, you know, we are the stewards that are, are given these things um, to, uh, to use for his glory and for his benefit. Okay, so that's kind of where we've been. Uh, if you want to catch those, uh, those are all posted on uh, our website. Uh, so you can go and, uh, and check those out there. So after, you know, kind of going over that, you might be struggling a little bit with, uh, you know, how countercultural these concepts are, right? They, they don't at all line up with what our culture says. And sometimes they don't even line up with what the church says, unfortunately. Um, and I can guess that many of you um, are struggling because of how many of you told me you couldn't wait to start using Wesley's four questions uh, about buying things. Um, <laughs> not. <laughs> if you weren't here, you have to go to the message and listen to what I'm talking about. But John Wesley had four questions that he would ask before he would spend money. And uh, if you followed those four questions, you wouldn't buy a whole lot, right? Um, but now, I want to go a little bit deeper in this understanding of how we can serve as God's faithful money managers. And, and I think to do that, we've got to explore some of the, these false perspectives about money that are pretty deeply entrenched. Um, and so we really have to understand where God is coming from and what his word tells us. Uh, and Because if we fail if we really fail to see how radically different what God is saying about money is, then we're going to make a very critical error in this process. And the critical error is that we're going to try to understand what, what God's Word says 
in light of our culture, which therefore strips it of its original meaning and, and intent. Okay? We've got to reverse that process. We have to understand our culture in light of what God says, which frees us from them embracing what's just popular or, um, you know, in, in the world's culture or even in the church's culture, but to, to actually embrace what the Bible says instead, okay? So we've been doing this as a series of questions, hypothetical questions and then answers. So we're going to sort of continue with that. Oh, I think I have to turn this on um, today. And so question was, one is, does the Bible say money is evil? All right. So there, there's essentially two equally incorrect beliefs about money. Uh, first of all, that it's always evil. And secondly, that it's always good. And, and the Bible says, right, that money is the root of all evil. No. It doesn't say that. What it says is this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Okay, so it's not money. It's the love of money. You know, men have betrayed their countries for financial gain. That's evil. But the evil doesn't reside in the money. It resides in the man. So money's not evil, money love is evil. 1 Timothy 4.5 says, Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. And so, you know, we've seen this in the past. Money can be used to buy a slave or a whip to beat a slave. Money can purchase sex. Money can bribe a judge. Money can buy cocaine. Money can fund terrorist acts. And in each case, it's the people using the money that are evil. But money itself is an evil. And, and by the same token, when a woman goes out and gives her money to help the poor... It's not the money that's good. She is good in doing that, okay? And so money, you know, essentially is, um, how would I say this? It's like morally neutral, right? There, there isn't a, a good or bad to it. It's sort of a tool that we can use for good or for evil. And so while people may be moral or immoral, but things are morally neutral and can be used for good or for bad. So money is not evil, all right? Neither is it good. All right, so question two. Is it possible to both follow God and make money? Well, I hope so. <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs> Yes, if you need a good steward, it's the end. Um, so I think we've established this, but to regard money as evil and therefore have it be useless for purposes of righteousness is just foolish. That's foolish. Um, but to regard it as good and therefore in that process overlook its potential for spiritual disaster 
uh, is also foolish. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. That's Luke 16, 13. So we're to use money, but not to serve it. See it for what it is and what it isn't. Money makes a terrible master, but it's a good servant to those who have the right master, and that's God. And so, really, there's, there's two things going on here. The first is this concept of materialism. And materialism, briefly defined, is being money-centered and thing-centered rather than God-centered. And as we'll see later on in this series, it really has no place in the Christian life. Now, the other extreme is called asceticism. Now, the ascetics saw money and things as evil themselves. Okay? So, to the ascetic, the, more, the less that you own, the more spiritual you are. And if something isn't absolutely essential, then you shouldn't have it. That's what their view was. Okay? And so, really, both of these views, materialism and asceticism, uh, are rooted in equally wrong views of money and possessions. Martin Luther made a comment once where he compared humanity to a drunkard who falls off his horse on the right side and then gets back on and falls off to the left. <laughs> so essentially, asceticism is falling off the horse to one side and materialism is falling off the horse to the other. Okay? And as Luther said, Satan doesn't care which side of the horse we fall off on as long as we don't stay in the saddle. Scripture portrays the relationship between the material and the spiritual not as an either-or relationship, but a both-and relationship. See, the material shouldn't take precedence over the spiritual, but nonetheless, it's a necessary and quite legitimate part of our existence. Paul really captured this principle when he thanked the Philippian church for supporting his ministry. He said this, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then there's a proverb that sort of makes a similar point. And it says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I go rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. See, our greatest resources are spiritual, not material. And they come from another world, not this one. And so Paul had to learn Contentment, which means it didn't necessarily come naturally to him. Okay? Contentment isn't the product of, of material abundance, of having a lot of stuff. That doesn't make you content. We could sit here and probably go around the room and name countless actors and rock stars and you know other people who thought they could buy happiness. And tragically, the story turns out pretty much the same every time. You know, they think that's the answer. They crash and burn. Um, sometimes 
to, you know, to great detriment. And so it's not the product of material abundance. It comes from accessing our intangible but very real resources in Christ Jesus. Question three. Is it right for Christians to have material possessions and enjoy them? You want to leave now or you want me to go on? <laughs> See, there are not two gods. There's not a god of the spiritual and a god of the physical. The same god created both, spiritual and physical. Both of those worlds are there for us to enjoy. All right? You know, God's people, Israel, viewed material things as a gift from God's hand, as a father's loving provision to his children. And so as his grateful children, they celebrated the harvest and national feasts mandated by his law to recognize and recognize and rejoice in their material provision. So it says this in Deuteronomy. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but it just says, for seven days you must celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses. For it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvests and gives you success in all your work. This festival will, will be a time of great joy for all. And so generating income is a necessary and, I would say, a God-ordained part of life in our world. And therefore, it's not unspiritual to do that. Um, now, we should commend those who choose to live very simply or strategically uh, and use a larger portion of their income to help the needy. That's wonderful. But at the same time, we shouldn't, you know, disdain someone who is an income producer and, you know, withdraw from the system as if somehow economics were sinful. You know, if we do, what will end up happening is we're contributing more to, prof to poverty than alleviating it. So we've got to battle materialism, not by withdrawing from society, but by serving God faithfully within it. Okay? So question number four. What's wrong with wanting things? God created us to love people and use things. Materialists love things and use people. And when it comes to loving things and using people, there's nobody better at it than Jim and Joina Sanders. <laughs> Hi! Hi! It's us, the Sanders. Hi. Jim and Joina. I'm Joina. <laughs> now, I know you opened the door and you went, uh-oh, it's those nosy uh -oh. neighbors. Nosy neighbors. But we're not <laughs> no, nosy. We're not. Well, kind of we are. Maybe. <laughs> Here's the deal. A lot of times throughout the years, we've knocked on your door and said, hey, what can we do for you? Yeah. You know? Because that's the type of people we are. But this time, we're going to kind of turn the tables. Lip flop. And ask <laughs> you what you can do for us. Yeah. Hey, oh, hey, 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 hold the phones, hold the phones. You see, we'll just cut to the quick, okay? Yeah. We have no money. We're broke. <laughs> we got nothing. Yeah, zippo zookus. Nada. Bupkis. <laughs> you see, what we've done is we've taken the happy train to credit town. Woo. Woo! And we've been having so much fun, we are up Woo! to dead in our eyeballs. Over our heads. 
<laughs> so we need your help. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I know what you're thinking. Hey, aren't you believers? And we are. We are. We love the Lord. <laughs> so much. But we've been loving the world. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you guys have some great stuff out there. Really do. At our house of proof, we got so many gizmos and gadgets. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and we ain't about to give them up. Nope. Okay, so here's what we've decided to do. Yeah. We have proposed a bailout package for you to help us out with. What do you say? Yeah. Huh? Oh, 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 hey. Hey, Senator, hold on there, okay? You see, we need your help because we are scared. Yeah, we're so stressed out. We got creditors nipping at our heels like a duck on a June bug. She's got a way with words, and it's so true. Yeah, yeah. It's so oh, true. We're so scared. It's, we're like a, a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. All right, Juno, that's enough. Okay. See, here's the deal. The Bible says yeah. in the book of Malachi. That's Malachi. Whatever. It says, God says, says, hey, 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 test me with your money. Bring all your tithe into Bring the storehouse. And I'll just be honest with you. I failed every test. And my storehouse is about to have a pool. Woo! We are so excited. Yeah. And we ain't getting rid of that. Nope. So what do you say? Can you help us? Yeah. We've, we've earmarked this rescue yeah. plan. Oh, hey, 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 hey. It's good stuff. It's win-win. Come on. Okay. At least, at least just give us some flour. Can we have some flour? Oh. Hey, our son's birthday is this weekend. You could just take that flower and make us a whole cake. What do you say, huh? Yeah. Well, that's a fine howdy-do. I know. Well, I guess it's back to the house to do a revision on the rescue plan. Well, we got to hurry. I got a manicure in 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love things and use people. Okay. See, Products are marketed to consumers without any regard for the fact that they might become addicted to them, depressed, obese, or diseased, in turn taking years off of their lives as a result of consuming these products. See, materialism drives not just the bad apples of society, but it also drives the best and the brightest, too. Those that come from the finest homes or schools, those who become government and business leaders, physicians, attorneys, etc. See, God knows that we have this tendency to take advantage of others when it comes to money. In Leviticus, he told his people, when you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. But they didn't listen. And then centuries later, Isaiah proclaimed, the Lord comes forward to pronounce judgment on the elders and rulers of his people. You have ruined Israel, my vineyard. Your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. And the same is true everywhere. You know, materialism is cross-cultural and pan-ethnic, right? It's, it was true of the religious leaders in Jesus' day and some of, in our own, unfortunately. In Mark, Jesus said this, and he, referring to the religious leaders of his day. He said they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. And the thing is that materialists simply live out of what they've learned. 
whether it was at home or at school or in the media or from their friends and, you know, sadly, sometimes at church. You can't bring a materialistic world to Jesus through a materialistic church. It's not going to work. Paul recommended as an alternative in, in Romans. He said, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. If we really start to look at Scripture, there's lots of stories about how materialism went bad. Let me just give you a few. Um, when the walls of Jericho fell, Achan stole things set apart for God and thought that he could get away with it. He didn't. For a fee, Delilah betrayed Samson to the Philistines. To gain wealth, Gazi lied about Elisha's desire to receive payment for curing Naaman. For this act of greed, God afflicted Gehazi with leprosy, with the leprosy that he cured Naaman of. Long before the Israelites had their first king, God warned against a monarch's temptation to materialism. He said this in Deuteronomy. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Can anyone think of a king that didn't really pay much attention to that? His name was Solomon. And unfortunately, his lust for more and more wealth led him to flagrantly disobey God's prohibitions against large, amassing large quantity of horses, gold, silver, and wives. And just as God had warned, Solomon's heart turned away from him. And in the ultimate act of treachery, Judas betrayed Jesus for money. Matthew tells us that Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you be will pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Jesus himself sounded a sober warning against materialism in any form and in any age. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Paul, as well, I may have missed that. Is that on here? Yeah. And then Paul, um, in Colossians, said this. He basically lumped, um, you know, this the sin of greed together with adultery and immorality. He said, "Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires." Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Greed surfaces in, in, in possessiveness and covetousness, right? Possessiveness kind of relates to what we have. We want to be selfish with it. We don't want to really share it. 
mine. You see this in small children. Mine. You can't have it. You can't play with my toy. Covetousness relates to what we want. It's a longing for and being preoccupied with having what God hasn't given us. We have this passion to possess things that really aren't ours. And you know, if you really think about it, it takes time to kind of hover over our things. You know, when we have a lot of things. And the time's got to come from somewhere. It's time we might spend cultivating an intimacy with God. It's time we may be in his word and prayer. It's time we might spend with our family. It's time visiting the needy. It's time with people who need Christ. And so every item that I add to my possessions is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, repair, display, rearrange, and replace when it goes bad. Acquiring a possession may also push me into redefining my priorities. And it might make me unavailable for ministry. I wouldn't do this, but if I were to go buy a boat, the problem isn't just the money. I've got to now justify my purchase of the boat, which may mean frequent weekends away from church. Sorry, got to use the boat. Mark, Mark will preach this week and next week and the week after. And it, makes, it could make me or someone unavailable to teach Sunday school or work in the nursery or lead a small group or fill in the blank, whatever. And I mean, obviously, I'm not just talking about boats. Just, you know, whatever material possessions you value, you can just substitute for that. And as Jesus said, worries and wealth can choke us and make us unfruitful. He said this, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the messages crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. And that's what I, you know, I've mentioned this about how many places money is mentioned in Scripture. This is a great example of that. How many of you would have guessed that that and the lure of wealth was in that parable? I don't think many of us would have immediately thought of that, but it's right there. Question five, is money love a formula for self-destruction? Paul said this to Timothy, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows.
There's an old adage we learned in our college psychology class. Act as if. You act as if you are something. Happy, successful, whatever. And eventually, that's what you become. At least that's the theory, anyway. When we moved out here, we thought we had it all. Thought we had it made. We thought that if we could afford the move and the mortgage, then everything else would fall into place. That our kids would go to the best school and everything would be perfect. We weren't in the same league as our neighbors, but we sure wanted to be. When Mike lost his job, we took a really big hit, but we thought it was important to act as if everything was okay. We were doing great. No one wants to be associated with the failure. And these are very successful people living around here. So we decided to not tell anyone, just to live our lives. Maxed out a few credit cards since then. Expecting Mike would get another job. I don't want to be ostracized, not invited to parties. I don't want my kids to be treated like they're less than. I don't want to give all this up. I shouldn't have to. Seeking fulfillment in money and land and houses and cars and clothes and RVs and hot tubs and large screen televisions and luxury vacations and cruises has left us bound and gagged by materialism. And like addicts, we think our only hope lies in getting more of the same. Did you notice that the woman in the video didn't have bags from the grocery store, but bags from retail stores and boutiques? She's going right on with, you know, acting and spending as if they have the money. Meanwhile, the voice of God, unheard amid the clamor of our possessions, is telling us that even if materialism did bring happiness in this life, which it certainly does not, it would leave us woefully unprepared for the next life. If we maintained God's perspective, even for a moment, and saw how we go through life accumulating and hoarding and displaying and serving our things, we would probably have the same feelings of horror and pity that any sane person has when viewing asylum inmates endlessly beating their heads against the wall. So, let's make this practical. You know, I like to, it's not just, it's a good word, what do we do with it? And I think it's an undeniable fact that all of us, 
myself included, spend money on things we really don't need, and in doing so, perpetuate the problem of materialism in our own lives. So how do we change that? Well, I think a successful formula in this, as in many things in life, is starting small. I think uh, there's a good analogy in, in fasting, and I think I've used this before, but if you were to, to say today, you know, I think I would like to try fasting. You know, Going out and attempting a 40-day fast, because that's what Jesus did, is really not a good idea. If you've never fasted before, and, I, and I've told this story a number of times, but had a woman in this church years ago who uh, came to me one Sunday practically in tears because she had attempted a seven-day fast having never fasted a day in her life and only got to four days. And I looked at her and I said, but you went four days. That's pretty amazing for never having done it before. Yet she thought she was a failure. Right? Because she started, her goal was too big. She had no experience. She didn't understand what it was going to do to her body. And so if she had just said, all right, I'm going to try 24 hours. Let me do a 24-hour you know, fast. See how that goes. And then you can grow it as, uh, as your body becomes accustomed to it and so forth. It's just a recipe for failure when we start too big. And I think the same is true here. If we're going to break the cycle of materialism, we've got to start small, gain some victory, and then try something larger. So I'm going to give you a challenge for this week. I want you to examine your spending, or perhaps even even better way to do this is to just sit quietly and ask God to pinpoint something that you regularly spend money on that you really don't need. And then, but don't stop there. Use that money to further God's kingdom in some way. Now, maybe you're not currently tithing to the church. Well, maybe that's a good way to start. Now, we're going to talk more about tithing in a couple of weeks. I'm just giving you a little bit of a preview. Maybe you are tithing some, well, this might be a chance to increase that amount. Maybe that you, you know of some other ministry that has a need, and so you could use that money to bless them. Maybe you know of a person that has a need, and here's the chance to be the instrument that God uses to really touch them. The point is, is simply to do something however large or small it may be, and I can pretty much guarantee you that God's going to bless that. He's going to bless that effort. And so next week we're going to talk in a little bit more detail about, uh, this was kind of materialism part one. I know you're excited to know there's a part two. But what I want to talk about next week is kind of specifically how does, it, how does this idea of materialism impact us as Christians? You know, what does it do to us, uh, of those of us that are trying to maintain uh, a life of, of spiritual integrity? And so that's kind of what we're going to focus on next week. And, uh, but for this week, like I said, sit, 
get quiet, and let God speak to you about what it is that um, you could maybe begin to give up. And then in, in turn, take the money that you're not spending on that and use it to advance the kingdom in some way. You know, I would love for you to advance it here, but if you're advancing it somewhere else, that's good too. Right? Are you going to play or not? You don't have to. have uh, some people who have been um, kind of cleared to pray to come up and just be available. This is a hard, this is a hard subject. I was thinking about this the other day and I was telling my son this this morning that I could I can come in here and I could preach about all different kinds of sin, right? And I would have people, you know, afterwards going, oh, yes, God, I'm sorry, I repent. That's such a good word. But as soon as I come in here and I start talking about money, it's like that old adage, you know, preacher, you done gone from preaching to meddling. But this is important stuff to talk about, right? Because it impacts all of us. There's not one of us that can sit here and say, yeah, yeah money, that doesn't really I don't have, have no effect on my life. Well, yeah, it does. And so I think understanding what Scripture has to say about it is, is really important, even if it is uncomfortable to hear. But that's when you know you probably need to hear it. If it, if it gets, you know, it's not my job as much as I love all of you, to stand up here and make you comfortable every week. That'd be great, but that's not being true to what I've been called to do. What I've been called to do is to preach God's word. And that's what I've been doing. You know, and, and it's kind of hard to look at God's word when it comes to money and materialism and not draw these kinds of conclusions. That we're not really walking in those. We read them, yeah, that's good, but kind of just goes right over. So take some time and, and just kind of ponder this. I think, uh, I think it would be good. Let's start playing. So if you uh, have any kind of a prayer need, I just invite you to come and see one of these people that are, uh, are here and willing and able to pray for you, whatever it might be, a physical need, um, something, some issue in, at home or work that you want someone to come in agreement with you on, um, take advantage of that. We have seen prayer do some amazing things in this church, and so we are fully committed to it. Uh, if you want to just stay and worship, that's great. If you need to go, that's fine too. So I'm going to uh, kind of pray us out of here and then uh, you are free.
free to do whatever. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for hard words. Words that make us uncomfortable because they point out things in our lives that may not line up with the way you see things. And I know it is never your objective to condemn us, but merely to convict us. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. And if we are feeling that, then that's the Spirit at work. Not in a condemning way, but in a convicting way. And so, Lord, I pray that for anyone that is hearing that, that they would not turn away from it, but press into it. Hear the truth in the Spirit's words. And then make changes that are in accordance with that. Lord, we know that you honor effort. We, you honor our feeble attempts to worship you and to praise you and to obey what your word says even when we don't quite make it it still is pleasing to you so Lord we just ask for your help and your favor and we give you thanks and praise for words of conviction bless all of these your people as they leave today Bless them as they go home. Bless them as they go to work tomorrow. Bless them as they do any kind of recreation or meet with family. And Father, help all of us to find some way to be Jesus to someone else this week. We give you praise and honor and glory, O oh God. And ask all of these things now holy and precious name of Jesus.